Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Uh, Well, good morning. My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and we are in week three of a series going through the Beatitudes. We're going to be doing this for eight weeks. Uh, We're in the third Beatitude this weekend. And we, like many of the first century uh, Jews, were missing the life that Jesus came to give us. And that sound is just the AC unit going crazy. It's not like your brain tricking you. Usually when we open the front door, it stops. I guess not. Um, (laughs) uh, And if we're honest, really honest, um, we're missing that same life. We want more. Hopefully you're here at church because you want more than what you have right now. And I don't mean more like more possessions or more things, but you want the presence of God. Uh, in John 10:10, 10, 10, there's there's a strategy. You see what the enemy's doing. This is what we're up against. But we see what Jesus came to offer. In John 10:10, 10, 10, it says, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, referring to Jesus, that they may have life and have it abundantly." And that's what this series is about. As we look at the Beatitudes, this blessing that Jesus wants us to walk in is leading us to this abundant. Life. This is why Jesus came to be with us, to unite us to the Father and produce His life in us. Jesus came to redefine what it means to have a relationship with God, and the Beatitude shows us that path. And so the first four, which we're in number three today, um, are directly related to our relationship with God, and the next four is how our relationship with God impacts our relationships with other people. And so just to review, uh, review what's we've gone, um, in Matthew chapter 5, these are the first two, and then we'll read the third one. Um, the first week we did, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Step one is humility, choosing humility over pride. God, I need you. Our biggest issue, I think, at times is, is we think, and we don't tell Jesus this, and we don't tell our Christian friends this, but we... Live a life that's like, thanks, Jesus, for saving me and giving me salvation and giving me the ticket to heaven, which that's not really how it works. But I got this. Like, I I can do I can do everything like I I don't need you is what we say with our life as we kind of move through it and leave him out of it. And humility is that first one of going and stating, I need you. I am literally spiritually broke without Jesus. Um, Number four. Is blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Step two is brokenness. Choosing brokenness over denial. God, I am guilty and I'm sorry for the pain and suffering that I have caused. And as we embrace our brokenness, which we're broken, like, this is not a, a shocker. I mean, we, we can stop pretending when we come into a building that's called church. And acknowledge that there's things in my life that aren't perfect that I still need help on and we still need Jesus. No matter if today is your first day of being a follower of Jesus or you've been doing it for 40 years, there's never a moment that you're not going to need Jesus. And there's never a moment that you get to forget about the brokenness that got us to the place of our need for Jesus to begin with. 
And then in verse 5, we get the verse that we're going to be talking about today. Is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want to tell you a little story. Today's big idea is surrender, which is another thing Americans are really good at. We're not. That was a joke. If you're new to the country, we don't like to give up on anything. So I, um, and this isn't bragging because you'll see in just a second, but um, I ran a marathon four years ago. Actually, March is four and a half years ago. Um, I, after running um, a half marathon, I was like, I'm never going to run a marathon because it's dumb. I don't like running to begin with. And I got sucked into running a marathon and trained with a buddy of mine. And we spent 18 weeks working a, 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 a running plan and we, we put the miles in. And the longest run that we ran in training for this marathon was 20 miles, which was horrible. <laughs> but I mean, it, it was, you know, it was manageable. We, we finished the 20 miles, like, uh, I think two weeks before the marathon. And I'm like, but I, ne- I never experienced this one thing that runners deal with when they run distances is hitting the wall. I, I mean, I'm telling you, my running buddy, um, after about the hour mark of running, I got to have something else. Because in my brain, I'm like, this is horrible. And my leg is it's starting to hurt. This could be something major. I probably should stop and walk for the next hour. And so, like, I started, we would chit-chat for a little bit. And then I would put on uh, an audiobook. I had my headphones. And I was like, I need something to distract me. And, and so uh, I never hit the wall. I didn't hit to this place that, like, I couldn't. So it, within my power of deciding that I wanted to continue, I still could do it. And so the marathon came, and it was it was here in Wilmington, so it was a flat course, which is beautiful. I mean, I couldn't imagine running a marathon where there was actual elevation. I mean, God. I mean some people that run real marathons are like, your elevation change is like 100 feet the whole race. They're like, is that really a marathon? Uh, but for me, it was a marathon. And so the day of the race came, and I had a goal. Um, I wanted to finish in four hours and 30 minutes. That was my goal. And based on all of our training, that was doable. I mean, that, that's like a 10-minute mile, um, which is still, I mean, let me, let me just confess. This is four and a half years ago. I've not ran longer than five miles at any moment since then. So anyway, so we get to the day of the race. And, you know, race days, if you've ever run a 5K or something, like, you could be hating life running on your own, but like there's something different that happens in a race that you're like, yeah. Like you run a little faster, which is a little trouble because you run faster at the beginning because there are all these people around and you kind of burn out a little bit. Um, so we had a plan. Like we knew that we weren't going to do that. We started smart, but we ran the first 17 miles at like a, a 925 pace. I mean, we were like... And it felt good. I was like, it's a race day. Like, this is going to be amazing. Like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get faster than my time because 10 minutes and we're averaging 925 and we're doing great. And, um, my buddy that I'm running with at like mile eight, we had made a deal that unless we're like injured, we're staying together. And there's no like, uh, so he was kind of struggling at the 17, 18 mile mark. And, and finally, after conversations, he's like, look, you're, You've got a little bit more Zoom than me. I'm going to finish. I promise you, I will not quit. I will finish the race, but you run. So I ran and was feeling good about it until about mile 21. And mile 21, I hit the wall. And there was nothing I could do about it. 
I've never been more angry at volunteers at races than those last five miles. Because I'm walking, because I can't do anything else. I mean, I'm not lying where, like, there's a wall and you could, like, I literally, and I would come by those volunteers at their little tents for the water, and they're like, you're doing good. I'm like, I need somebody to yell at me and tell me this is a run, not a walk. Get going. Um, But they didn't. And, I mean, I ran, walked the last four miles, but I couldn't, like, physically, I could not. And so we get close, it finishes at um, UNCW, and we get there, and my son is at the end of the, like, 100-yard finish. Like, you can see the finish line. And he's like, <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, I couldn't even run with him that 100 yards. I, I Like, with people watching me, I didn't care anymore. There was no pride in me left. There was no, like, okay, they're watching. I'm like, I don't even here. I finished and I finished. And oh, I, I forgot this. So the last mile, the 430, there's pacers. There's a person that wears a vest that as long as you stay with them, you'll finish at this time. So the pacer for the 430 called up with me in the last mile. And I'm like, okay, just, just stay, just stay with her. No, no, no. So I finished four hours and 30 minutes, 31 minutes in like 34 seconds. And I don't even care. I still don't care. I finished. I got a marathon. I finally took that sticker off the back of my truck after year two of not running really much anymore. There's no marathon sticker on the back of my truck anymore. But I say all that to say, we get into this position, and many of us are there, where we're going to, by our effort and our energy, do everything that we can to be the best person that we can. And it's just not enough. It's not. Like, it's not enough to be... Uh, you don't have enough in you to be the husband or wife that you've been called to be. You, you don't. You don't have enough in you to be the employee or citizen or family member that you're called to be. But we as Americans have this thing in us that we're going to strive until it kills us. Because we don't want to surrender. And I, I didn't. Like I had this emotional thing in this race where I just couldn't anymore. My body said no. And honestly, I think it was all nutrition. I think I ran out of fuel. Uh, and I had no more fuel in the tank to run anymore. And we do this. And, and that's where we're going to be today. We're going to choose surrender over striving. See, American mantra is that if, if I try hard enough, I can make this happen. Your Christianity will not work that way. And this is why Christianity has a taint on it. Because we, as believers, try really hard, and it's not enough. It's not enough, and it's never been enough, and it's never going to be enough. And this is why we have Jesus. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. So we can be humble and broken and surrendered to Him so that we can have the life that we want. That abundant life isn't going to come from your striving. See, Jesus wants to bless you. And these, this is the beginning of his longest sermon. And then nine times he uses the word blessing. And this blessing isn't he wants to give you more money. He wants to give you winning lottery tickets. He wants to give you the car and the whatever that we at times in Christianity say, if you're a good enough Christian, Jesus will bless you and you'll have stuff. And this, the blessing that he's referring to is not about stuff. The blessing that he's referring to is about presence. That we get 
to enjoy his presence. And we get the peace and the joy and the abundant life that he promises. And what you'll find out is that all of those other things won't satisfy. There's no one on their deathbed with millions and billions of dollars on their bank account is going, if I'd have just worked another hour, if I'd have just made a little bit more money, it all comes down to people like I miss, like I miss these opportunities with my children or my wife. So our way to blessing is humility, brokenness, and surrender. And so we've been looking at this story of the prodigal sons for the last um, two weeks, and we're going to talk about it again today, of their different responses to the same thing. So we're going to jump back into Luke 15, and I'm going to hit the first son, the prodigal son. We all know, if you remember the prodigal story, there's two sons. One of them is just a horrible person, and he decides to tell his father, I want what's coming to me, give it to me. I'm going to leave with it and ruin my life by spending it all on wild living, and I'm going to finally be broken and humble and come back to you. And the father receives him with love and grace, and we have this other son who's frustrated because he's the religious one that has always done the right thing before the father. And he's angry that he's blessing the prodigal. I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, Luke 15, starting in verse 13, it says, Now many days later, the young, younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And if you're familiar with uh, Judaism, um, um, kosher, like they don't want to be, they don't want to eat pigs. They don't want to be around pigs. Pigs are a dirty animal to them. None. And he is so low, so broken, so humble that he'll take any job to work even to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs, pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, which is the big theme over the last few weeks, when we come to ourselves, he said, How many in my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? He's not thinking about getting back to the position he was at before. He's thinking about getting food in his stomach. If I can just be a hired servant. But I will perish here, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and before God. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Look at this. Father, I have sinned against you. He's humbled himself. I no longer am worthy to be called your son. He is broken. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He surrendered. He's, he's not coming back to his father, positioning himself to be a son again. He's just saying, hey, hire me as one of your servants. I give up working. It's not working. This thought that he had, that he could go out and be without the father and do whatever he wanted, he's ready to come back. And how does the father respond? And this is something that we have to look at. But Jesus is telling this story as a representation of God the Father and the sons. We have this kind of idea, especially when we fall into sin and we, we do things that we shouldn't do and we're not living a surrendered life, that God's angry and mad at us. But let me just tell you, when you come to your senses and return to the Father, compassion 
is what the Father gives. Compassion. And this is what we see in this picture. And so he comes back. The father refuses to bring him back in as a servant. He brings him back as a son. They celebrate. He starts his party. And then you have the older son who comes in from the field. He hears this party going. He asks one of the servants what's going on. And they're like, your, your brother has returned and your father is celebrating. And the, the cool thing to see about this as we're looking at God the father God the Father, through the Father in the story, he came out to the prodigal. As he's returning, he saw him. He ran to him, embraced him. When the older son was refusing to come into the father's celebration, the father left the party to go out to the older brother. And here's where we are. Here's his response. So the younger brother was humble, broken, surrendered. Here's the older brother. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered him. He answered his father, look at these many years I have served you. And we talked about this last week. He's going to lie. And I have never disobeyed your command. Come on, children. We've all been children at one time. There, we cannot rightfully say that we have never disobeyed. Come on. Let's, let's be honest. I don't care how good your kids are. So they're like, not, my, not in my house. Um, um, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not brother, not relation to me, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And here's the older brother. I refuse to quit. I deserve what I have. Let me just tell you, some of us in this room are ruining our relationship with the father because of your belief that he owes you something. If he gave you nothing else but salvation and a future with him, he owes you nothing but we're angry sitting outside of the party, sitting outside of what God wants us to be in this celebration, angry at him because I deserve what I have. My father owes me. Religion is destroying his relationship with the father, but he refuses to surrender. See, step three, which is what we're in today, is surrender. Let me read this again, and we're going to talk about meekness, and then we're going to look at Moses. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who is in charge? And be honest, and don't elbow your person beside you. Who's in charge of your life? Really? I know we're in church, and everybody wants to say, Jesus, he's my number one. And then, and then we go outside and put a bumper sticker let me, I'm just, if you have this, I'm sorry. That says, Jesus is my co-pilot. Co-pilot? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Don't ever put a sticker on the back of your car that says, Jesus is your co-pilot. He's the pilot. You're the co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. He's not like, along for the ride. Come on, Jesus, get in your little sidecar. Shh, shh, Jesus, shh. These are my friends. Shh. Act cool. This is what meekness is all about. Meekness is not weakness, but power under control. Think of a horse. Thousands of pounds 
of muscle and energy that a little, and I don't know if you've seen some of these writers, a very little person can sit on his back and control it with this little bit. This little bit in his mouth. And move it here and there. All because of that. I've been on a few horses I've never felt in <laughs> Got on one one time like a dummy without a saddle and nothing, and that thing just took off. I feel like I still have like horse hair in my fingers. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I'm out. I'm out. Get me off this thing. I don't trust them. I don't, I don't really trust any animals way more than me. I'm sorry. So if you've got a big dog that weighs more than me, just keep him away. <clears throat> scares me. See, the prodigal son crashed and burned, and he was meek. He lived to please the father before he was stubborn and independent and rebellious. After losing everything, that changed. And remember when we talked about humility a couple weeks ago, a lot of time humility comes from our humiliation. Something happens to us and we get humbled because of it. But um, I think it's First Peter 5, 6, humble yourself. We can choose to skip the road of humility and be humble. <clears throat> he didn't want to live under anyone else's authority, but now he was eager just to be a servant. This is meekness. And Jesus says that it's the next step of getting into the blessed life. This is what Jesus did. Jesus had more power and more authority than anyone ever that touched this ground, earth. And he let people use and abuse and murder him because he had a greater purpose, surrendering to the Father for his purpose. Jesus says blessing comes when we realize that your independence is destroying you. And you choose to put Jesus in charge of your life. Look at this in Psalms 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. Cease your strivings. How many times, and I'm guilty of this too, when, when something out of your control happens, you go into yourself and try to figure out how to fix this thing that's out of your control instead of just surrendering and acknowledging that, God, you're in charge. So let's look at Moses. Moses was probably one of the greatest biblical leaders. And you can check out his whole life in Exodus. And if you've not read through it before, highly recommend it. It's crazy. And for those that have seen Prince of Egypt, you'll get a little bit of the story. But <clears throat> Moses was born in a time. So we have Joseph. Joseph comes onto the scene to save the people of God um, by being sold into slavery. And he gets under Pharaoh. Um, and Pharaoh believes him. He interprets his dream. And he saves the people of God. But the people of God move to Egypt. They begin to grow. Hundreds of years have passed. And they're becoming too many. So a new Pharaoh that doesn't remember Joseph looks at these people and goes, they're too many. We have to control them. So they put them into slavery. But they continue to grow so much so that the Pharaoh in Moses' day says, we need to curb this because they're going to get too many and they're going to overtake us. So he puts out a decree that every male child born to the Jews must be murdered, must be killed. Can you imagine? Hey, guys. Like, okay, so the happiest day of your life, you have your child, and 
if it comes out as a male, you have to kill this baby. I mean, this, this was the reality of what's going on. And, and Moses' mom sees this beautiful child and says, there is no way. And she tries to hide him for a little bit. And then finally she's like, I, I, I can't. She, she puts all her hope into a little basket, puts him and pushes him out into the river. And he floats down. And by the sovereign hand of God, floats into Pharaoh's daughter as she's bathing in the river. And she takes this child as her own And Moses becomes a prince of Egypt, which is crazy. Crazy. And what's even crazier is is, um, they witness. So Moses' mother gets to nurse Moses for the first, I think, three years of his life. So she gets to see him grow, and he's in this place. and, and, And through all of this, he's aware of who he is. He's aware. But he's brought up. As his grandpa is divinity. He is a, he is a, um, a demigod. Like he, he, what he says is power. Could you imagine the power and control and the opulence that Moses lived in the first part of his life? There's no whim that wasn't answered. There was nothing that he missed out on because they didn't have enough money. All the education, all the tutoring, all the horror. I mean, anything he wanted was at a snap of his finger. He was a prince of Egypt. And so Moses, as he's getting older, he's seen the abuse of what his people that he knows. And he takes things in his own arrogant hands and he murders an Egyptian that's abusing an Israelite. And knowing that he's going to get in trouble, most likely killed for this encounter, he takes off and runs into the desert. And he spends 40 years, I think... When we read the Bible, we forget of these timetables. Even when we read of the story of Paul, we, we don't realize that he spent really the first 13 years. I mean, we look at like, oh, he got saved and he just went into it. And we look at Moses and was like, man, this is a great leader. He spent 40 years in the desert. Moses must have assumed that I blew it. And God is done with me. God has abandoned me in the wilderness. You may be in a similar season. You may have been looking around and wondering if God has abandoned you in the wilderness. But God is there. We talked about this not too long ago with the sifting. God is working in your suffering to bring you to a place of surrender so that he can help you into the blessed life. God is working in your struggle to prepare you for your future. Furthermore, God cannot train Moses In a palace for what he needs to lead Israel in the wilderness. If we're going to be completely honest, most of you, if you've survived the wilderness or on the other side of a wilderness, you don't like this reality, but you know you're better because of it. Period. And we know this. After, let's say, if this is wilderness and we step out of that wilderness and we see that what God has done in us and we're grateful for it. We don't ever want to go back there, but we're grateful for it. But we have to realize that those are the things that make us what God has 
trying to make in us. These pain and these suffering, these things. So instead of running from them, being angry at God for them, surrender is the best thing, which we're going to see through Moses. It's the way. See, we can put ourselves in the wilderness just like Moses. Sometimes, to be completely honest, your wilderness experience was caused by you. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, we've done dumb things and it's caused pain and suffering in our own lives and the lives of others. Sometimes it's caused by others. People have done things to us that have driven us to the wilderness or put us in the wilderness. And sometimes we miss the fact that God is in the wilderness with us. See, Moses had a change from being the prince of Egypt to a surrendered, chosen leader of God. We're going to look at a couple of conversations that he had. Uh, Moses, while he was in the wilderness, God had a conversation with him with a burning bush, which is weird. Let's just say it. If it happened to you tomorrow, you should question it. I mean, at least until I'm just I'm just telling you, like we think because we've seen the stories, we've had the flannel boards that burning bushes. God speaks. Notice that that was the only burning bush. If I'm wrong, I don't I don't think there was another one. Right. There's only one. So it's not like if it happens again, it might not be God. Just just be careful. I mean, record what it says. And then, like, let's 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 converge converge together and we'll we'll make sure. But he has a conversation with God and God is telling him, I'm going to send you to rescue. Remember his first efforts at rescuing the people of Israel. He murdered an Israelite. Didn't go very well. He ran out into the wilderness and has been there for 40 years. And God's telling this. And so we pick this up in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Moses answered, after God's told him what he's going to do, Behold, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not speak to you. Same thing if you went to somebody, your friends, tomorrow and said, Last night, Vernon Bush had a conversation with the Father. And they're like, What, what kind of burning... Bush, are you talking about like, 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 nah, bro. Um, you know, they, they're, they're like, in Moses, a good question, because he's going to go to them and say, God has spoken to me. And anytime we do this, you know, we got to see. And imagine this. I don't think in the conversation that we're leading to, I don't think the former prince of Egypt would have been concerned that the slaves wouldn't listen to him. And now his biggest fear is that he's going to go back to the slaves of the country that he was a prince in, and they're not going to listen. Verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground, and it became a servant, <laughs> a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Heck yes. You throw a stick on the ground, and it becomes a snake. Don't touch it. Unless God tells you to, which he does. So he threw it to the ground. It became a servant. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, this is faith right here. This is surrender. This is surrender. Because like all you that hate snakes, think about this for a second. The Lord says, pick up that snake. Put your hand and catch it by the tail, which is a safer place than the head. Okay, I will say that. And he put his hand and he caught it. I'm sure he closed his eyes. And it became a staff in his hand. 
that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he gives them the sign to show them. And here, here's 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 a here's a freebie for you. And this is a whole preachable topic right here. God, in your surrender, just wants what you have. And as we give it to him, he works something great in it. There's so many things that we're holding on to that God's saying surrender because we're afraid that what we had before won't be as good as we surrender to God. And God is telling us that the thing that we're trying to keep isn't as good as what God wants to give us as we take what we have in our hands, give to him, and he works something in us. So we're going to move down to verse 10. It says, But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. I don't agree with this. I think the prince of Egypt, now his confidence has probably waned in 40 years, but the prince of Egypt probably was well-versed in communicating to people. Let's just... Let's just say that. I I think um, he's overplaying his hand. He's a little scared. He says, either in the past, so this was before, or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to speech and of tongue. And I'm sure in that moment, as God was speaking to him through the burning bush, he was very slow to speak because, you know, you don't just go crazy when... God's speaking to you, even through a burning bush. Verse 11 says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. But he said to him, O Lord, my God, please send someone else. And he does send his brother Aaron with him. I don't think he needed Aaron. I think Aaron was trouble. But Aaron needed to be there for lots of different reasons. And so it works. God rescues his people out of Egypt. And they're on their way to the promised land. And Moses goes to have a conversation with God again on the top of the mountain. And while he's gone for 40 days, they believe that he has died. And in his death, they have left their new religion of loving, serving Jesus into the one where this golden calf is now going to free them from all the things that it didn't before. And so his brother, which trouble Aaron, makes this golden calf out of everybody's little things and they worship and Moses comes down and he's angry. I mean, I don't know about you, but like if I miss a Sunday and I come back and we've erected some like other God in here and, you know, Buddha and some other things are in here and we're like, ha ah. like there's trouble. <laughs> things have not gone correctly. <clears throat> and he, of course, grinds it up and makes them drink it, which I think is hilarious. Hilarious. He grinds up that golden calf and he makes them line up and drink a little bit of it. Mm. Anyway, we don't have time to get in that. And then we're going to skip down to. Verse 33, I mean, chapter 33. So Moses is leading them, and it's not going really well. They weren't supposed to. It wasn't a 40-year journey, okay, through the desert. They spent 40 years um, just taking a long, long journey through the desert. 
So in verse uh, 1 of chapter 33, the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out all of these, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go to the land, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I, hear this, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God's saying, hey, I, I promise this and I'm going to let you have it, but I ain't going with you. There's trouble when that's the case. And look at this. The prince of Egypt could have gladly taken power and taken this millions of people and set up a new regime and whatever and departed from God. But he wasn't going to have any of that. Look at um, verse 15. He said, talking to Moses, he says, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not you, your going with us, so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. This is still the true story. The only thing that makes us different is the presence of God. And Moses was not willing to have the promised land, have the thing that God was sending them to if God wasn't included in it because Moses had realized that there is nothing of value outside of God. If God's not there, I don't want any part of it. The prince of Egypt had been humbled, severely broken, and fully surrendered. And what's crazy is, this is not even in my notes, but the closest he got to the promised land was looking at it from a high place. He died in the desert. Moses did. Missed it. Did all of those things, and he missed the one thing that he was going to do. He was still with Jesus in the transfiguration. So there's not a knock on Moses. <clears throat> the presence of God is better than being the prince of Egypt. The presence of God is better than whatever you're unwilling to surrender. You think you'll lose when you surrender it to God. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I want to ask you a question. And be honest within yourself. Who's in charge of you? And, and let, me, let me just, just in case you're wondering, I don't want to be in charge of you. I want to lead you to the one who wants you, which is Jesus. I don't want to control you. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to tell you right now, that surrender is the only way to get the thing that you want. The presence of God. So what in your life are you unwilling 
to surrender. Is there anything right now that you, I, I believe, as I'm talking, I believe even right now the Holy Spirit is pinpointing things in your life that you know aren't helping you. They're hindering you. They're ruining relationships in your life. They're ruining you, but you're unwilling for whatever reason. Maybe you're afraid of losing it. Maybe you're afraid of the shame that might be associated to it by exposing your brokenness. And I just want to say God came to give you life and life abundantly. And life abundance does not come without surrender. And so if you're here today and you've not surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today can be your day. It is a journey. And let me just tell you, for those that are like, yeah, those, those heathens, they, they need to surrender. For you, older brothers, <laughs> surrender is your only option also. And it's a continuation. This humility, this brokenness, and this surrender, and all the things that we're going to talk about, they're things that Jesus is asking you to live in. Not to experience one time. I'm not asking for a surrender for Sunday morning so that you can go back tomorrow to being whatever you were. Jesus is asking for surrender and then a continuation of that surrender. So what is it? What is holding you back? And I'm just telling you, there's been so many things in my life where I was unwilling to surrender. And I'll, I will be like the marathon and I'll be like, I can do it. I will continue. I will keep pressing in instead of just going... Here it is. So I have, a, just like we've done the last two weeks, I've got a prayer of surrender that I'm going to read. And if you're willing to deal with something that's going on in your side, pray it with me. And then we're going to go into worship. Our prayer team's going to be in the back afterwards. The best time to move into what God's asking of you is right now. So let's pray. Jesus, I have been in charge for far too long. I trust your heart, your wisdom, your plan for my life. Today, I lay it all down. I surrender all to you. Whatever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, whatever or wherever you want me to go, my life is yours. Amen. Lord, as we go into this song, you know what's being wrestled around in our hearts right now. You know that thing that we're unwilling to let go because we don't know what will happen if we do. Lord, I just pray your sovereign hand would reach down into our lives. And we would know in this moment that what you have for us is better than whatever that is. Lord, being in your presence in the wilderness is better than being the prince of Egypt. And so, Lord, I pray that as we acknowledge our lack of surrender, as we acknowledge these things that we're holding on so tightly, Lord, I pray that you would let us see that you can be trusted. Lord, I thank you that you are so patient with us. Like the father in the prodigal story, waiting 
looking, longing for the return. Lord, I thank you that you're sitting there waiting and longing for our return. Lord, help us trust the compassion that you have for those who surrender. So, Lord, let us worship you. Let this morning be an acknowledgement that we surrender to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.